Welcome to the Faith Broadcast. I'm Carrick Butler, the pastor of Faith Christian Center. Thanks for tuning in today. We believe today's message is going to help you live this lifestyle of faith. It's going to empower you to live a life that makes Jesus famous wherever you go. Open up your heart. We know God has something special just for you. And we believe that as you listen to today's message, something good is going to happen to you. So listen up. I'll talk to you today at the end of our broadcast. Open your Bibles with me to Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12. Let's get into the Word of God today. Romans chapter 12. If you're new here at Faith, I put all my notes in the YouVersion Bible app. If you open up the Bible app, you'll see more and events. And you go to Faith Christian Center, you see my notes for today. New Year, New You, Part 3. You can follow along with me. Also, if you have our Faith Plus app, it's the third link on the first page. And you'll be able to follow along with me as well. Romans chapter 12. And so we started the series on the first Sunday of the year. New year, new you, question mark. Because it's a popular hashtag, new year, new you, hashtag, new year, new me. But how many know if you still do the stuff you did last year, it'll be a new year and old you. And so we began to look through the word of God, how God is interested in life transformation. That God is interested in you becoming the new you you're supposed to be. So let's look at Romans chapter 12, verse 1. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. We talked about, talked about that on week one. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove that it was that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. This lets me know right here, if you do not renew your mind, you will not know the will of God. If you do not renew your mind, you will not know the will of God. You see, a lot of people will try to tell you what the will of God is. But if they don't renew their mind, they don't know the will of God. We're going into an election season. You will have politicians on both sides of the aisle quote the Bible. You will have media personalities and celebrities quote the Bible. But it doesn't mean they know what the will of God is. Because if your mind is not renewed by the word of God, you do not know the will of God. And they say, well, Pastor, well, I grew up in church. Well, great, that's a great place to grow up. But how many know just because you go somewhere, you don't become something? How many know st standing in the garage does not make you a car? And plus, you could have gone to the church, but the church may not have taught the Word of God. Because not all churches believe the Word of God. Or they may have taught half the Word or tradition. Or even if you went to a church that taught the Word of God and taught what the Holy Ghost was saying, how many know you're in church more than just, you have a life outside of church? So although those things were going in your mind, there were some other things that might have gone in your mind in your life's journey. See, the word renew means renovate. And if you ever renovate a house or a room, you take out what's old and you put in what's new. When you renovate your mind, you have to take out old ways of thinking and put in what's new, the word of God. And so one of the things I want to point out before we move forward, that word transform also means transfigured. So one of the things the scripture is doing, it's pointing to the example of Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration. How he was walking with Peter, James, and John looking like everybody else. But all of a sudden he was transformed or transfigured before them and his face began to shine like the sun. And the rest of him was glowing as well and the power of God hit those three and they fell into the power. When they came to, they saw Moses and Elijah talking with Jesus. And as they saw that happen, then the glory of the Father covered the mount. And we're familiar with that story. But one of the things that points to us, that if Jesus can be transformed before us, point to the same example. Our lives can be transformed 
by the renovating of our minds. And as we're transformed by renovating our minds with the Word of God, we will begin to know what is the will of God for our lives. See, Isaiah 55, one of the verses we quoted and we looked at in more detail in week one. For my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways, says the Lord. See, the thing is, you may not know what you think you know. Anybody has a teenager that thinks they know everything? That no matter what you tell them, no matter what you share with them, they think they know more because they can Google something. And you tell them you don't know what you think you know. You think you understand this, but you don't understand everything yet. I wonder if God ever feels like that looking at us. You don't know what you think you know. You don't understand everything you think you understand. Why? His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. His ways are higher than our ways. And then sometimes people quit, well, if his thoughts are higher, then why should I try? If his ways are higher, how should I try? Keep going. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. For as the rain comes down, the snow from heaven returns not there, but waters the earth and makes it bring forth and bud, that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater. So shall my word be that goes forth out of my mouth. It shall not return unto me void, but it shall accomplish that which I please, and it shall prosper in the two words who I sent it. So God says, I'm going to send my word, and it's going to fulfill its purpose. One of the things about the Word of God, people say, well, I can't think the thoughts of God, they're too high. I can't live the ways of God, they're too high. No, you can live them and think them if God teaches you. And He sent you His Word to teach you. So if you get in this Word, you can begin to think the way God thinks. If you get into this Word, you begin to live the way God lives. Because if God sent His Word, it's going to accomplish the purpose where He sent it, but you must let it accomplish that purpose in your life. In the age of relativism, which we live in, there is still an absolute truth. See, John 17, 17, Jesus said, sanctify them through your truth. Your word is truth. Even in a day where people say my truth, your truth, his truth, her truth, their truth, our truth, there is an absolute standard of truth, and it is the word of God. The word of God is true. You must make a decision whether you're going to believe that or not. God will not make you believe his word. If God would make people do stuff, he'd make everybody get saved. But God will not make you do anything. You must make a decision. Will you believe the word of God or won't you? Don't fall for arguments that are put on YouTube by half historians. You must make a decision for yourself. Will you believe the word or won't you? Will you believe this is God speaking to me? Or you put it aside as some other philosophical book. The Word of God is the absolute standard of truth that we should measure our lives by. Because although culture changes and what's popular and what's acceptable changes, the Word of God never changes. You know, God did not send a Holy Bible 2020 edition. So let's make some updates because people don't want to live this way anymore. Let me change it. No. This is still the standard. We're not supposed to change the Bible to fit our lives. We're supposed to change our lives to fit the Bible. The word of God will not return to him void, but it will accomplish its purpose. And part of its purpose is life transformation. We must be transformed by the renovation of our minds so we can become the person that God wants us to be. So let's go to 2 Corinthians 3 and get into some new stuff. Because last week we talked about how the word of God is the absolute standard where it concerns God's will for healing. That God says he's Jehovah Rapha, the God who heals you and takes sickness away from the midst of us. 
We saw throughout the scriptures how it's God's will for you to be well. How that the leper asked Jesus, said, if you want to, you can heal me. And Jesus said, I want to. It's my will. So that should let you know the will of God for all time is that you be well. We looked at the story of the woman who was about over 18 years. A spirit of infirmity kept her back bent for 18 years, couldn't look up. And she came on the Sabbath day and Jesus healed her. And as you go through the story, it says, ought not this daughter of Abraham be loosed on the Sabbath day? So in Jesus' mind, she should be healed and set free just because of how she was born. She was born the seed of Abraham. And then some people say, okay, if she's a seed of Abraham, I'm going to do everything I can to become the seed of Abraham. But Galatians chapter 3 says, if you belong to Christ, then you are the seed of Abraham. If you believe in Jesus, if you belong to Christ, then you're the much a seed of Abraham as Isaac, his son, is. And so if Jesus said this woman ought to be healed because she's the daughter of Abraham, when God looks at you, he says, you ought to be healed. Amen. That's God's will towards you. And we have to let the word of God concerning healing be our absolute standard of truth where the matter is concerned, not our experiences. He said, well, I heard this person got prayed for and this didn't work. Or I experienced this. Well, that's great. You have your experiences. But will you trust your experiences or will you trust the word of God? You have to make a decision. He says, well, this is how I feel today. How many know you feel different things all the time? You may go through 10 feelings in five seconds. If you're hungry, maybe 20 feelings. Anybody else get hangry in here? That you know it's just not wise for you to be hungry around people. That you know if you're really going to walk in love, you should carry a snack with you. That they say something that would offend you. That, mm, bless the Lord. God bless you. But how many know that our emotions change? Our emotions are not a stable source of guidance. Because you can feel like one thing one moment and something the next. So being led by feelings is a dangerous game. God gave you emotions for a reason, but not to be led by. We must guide our lives by the absolute standard of truth found in the Word of God. So 2 Corinthians chapter 3. We're going to look starting at verse 13. And not as Moses would put a veil over his face, that the children of Israel could not steadfastly look to the end of that which was above. But their minds were blinded, for unto this day remains the same veil untaken away in the reading of the Old Testament, which veil is done away in Christ. But even unto this day when Moses is read, the veil is upon their heart. And nevertheless, when it shall turn to the Lord, the veil shall be taken away. Now the Lord is that spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we all with open face or unveiled face, beholding as in a glass or a mirror the glory of the Lord, are changed to the same image from glory to glory, even as by the spirit of the Lord." And so if you want to be a good Bible student, when the New Testament quotes a Bible story, go back and read the Bible story. Or when it says it is written, go back to where it is written so you understand more of the context. So let's go back to Exodus chapter 33. And we can look at what Paul's talking about so it relates to our subject matter today. Exodus 33. And it came to pass as Moses entered into the tabernacle of the tent of meeting, the cloudy pillar descended and stood at the door of the tabernacle. The glory of God came down and met Moses. And the Lord talked with Moses. And all the people saw the cloudy pillar stand at the tabernacle door. And all the people rose up and worshipped every man in his tent door. And the Lord spoke unto Moses face to face as a man speaks unto his friend. And he turned again to go into the camp. But a servant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, departed not out of the tent of meeting or the tabernacle. And you see Joshua's hunger already. And it positioned him for leadership. So you can hunger and thirst after things of God, and you're thinking that God's just working on you right now, but he's preparing you for your future. And But you also see Moses was hungry because Moses says, I beseech thee, show me 
your glory. Now, a lot of us would have been satisfied seeing the cloud. Here is a pillar of cloud. It is the glory of God. A lot of us are like, cool, I can see the cloud. That's sweet. That's better than what I had in Egypt. But Moses knew there was more. So he said, show me your glory. And notice what God said, you should be grateful for what you have. No. He said, I will make all my goodness pass before you. Why? Because the word for glory is the Hebrew word which means heavy with everything good. The glory of God is heavy with all his goodness. And it says, I will make my goodness pass before you, and I will proclaim the name of the Lord before you, and I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and will show mercy to whom I will show mercy. And then he begins to tell them, you cannot see my face and live. The glory is too strong. Now, that's on an old covenant. Remember Moses, although he's a man of God and faithful all his house, he's a prophet of God, he hasn't been washed in the blood. The Holy Spirit hasn't regenerated his heart, doesn't live on the inside of him. He's just an anointed man of God who is faithful. So under the old covenant, if he looked at God, he would die. But under this new covenant, Christian, you're washed in the blood. You can look in his face and live. But that's another topic. And so the Lord said, Behold, there is a place by me, and he shall stand upon the rock, and it shall come to pass while my glory passes by, that I'll put you in the cliff of the rock, and I will cover you with my hand while I pass by. And I'll take away my hand, and you'll see my back parts, my face shall not be seen. So notice what he tells Moses, you're going to see my hands, and you're going to see my back. And so this is a lot more than anyone else in history has. Amen? And so the next day, it says in verse 5, chapter 34, and the Lord descended in the cloud and stood with them there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. And the Lord passed by before him. Skip down to verse 8. And Moses made haste and bowed his head toward the earth and worshiped. Wouldn't you? If all you've seen today is God speaking to you from a cloud, and all of a sudden God comes out of that cloud, puts his hand over you, steps by, and you actually see him, you would hit the deck really fast too. And so Moses begins to worship. And then it says, you keep reading, he stays there 40 days and 40 nights. The glory of God sustained him. He didn't need food or water, it said. The glory of God became his food and water. He's completely sustained in the presence of God. So when he comes down from the mountain, it's the scripture says, just keep reading, and you get, skip down to verses uh, 29 and 35. It says, Moses' face was shining, but he didn't know his face was shining. Other people, his brother Aaron saw it. And you're going to think, well, why was Moses' face shining? For 40 days and 40 nights, at the beginning of those 40 days, he saw God. And then those next 40 days and 40 nights, he was speaking to God through the clouds. So he's in the glory of God, the presence of God for 40 days and 40 nights. As he's beholding the shining glory of God, he begins to transform. He begins to transfigure. And he begins to look like God. Now remember, he's under an old covenant. He hasn't been washed in the blood, but he begins to transform because of what he's beholding. And so when Moses comes down from the mountain, his face is shining, and his brother Aaron sees him and is like, Moses, uh, Mo, there's something different about you, bro. Because you know, you're not going to just run up to someone and say, man, your face is shining. You're probably going to back up a little bit. No, y'all look at me. A lot of y'all will back up way far. So it's like, I watch from the parking lot. And other children of Israel pointing, like, you see that? Now Moses goes back to his tent, and, his, and he's trying to go to bed, and his wife says, Moses, turn off the lights. What's going on here? So what's going on? Moses didn't realize he had transformed. 
He didn't realize he's been transfigured. He didn't realize he had changed. And sometimes you don't even know you're changed until someone points it out. That you get into a situation that back in the day, when you just first got saved, you may have slapped them, cut them, cussed them out. But then they said something to you that you would have responded, and he was like, you know what? They must be having a bad day. I need to pray for them. And you don't realize in that moment how far God has brought you. And then someone points it out to you and whoa, you're a different person. Now, that didn't happen overnight. There was a process that transformed you into the person you are now. It is a process. But Paul is quoting the story, giving you the picture of Moses beholding God consistently, constantly. And as he did, he was transformed. Now, let's go back to 2 Corinthians 3. We'll look at verse 18 again, but I'm going to look at it from the Amplified Classic Edition. As Moses, a man under the old covenant, not washed in the blood, not filled with the Holy Ghost, looked at God, he was transformed and began to look like God. The Amplified Classic Edition says, verse 18, And all of us, as with unveiled face, because we continue to behold in the Word of God, as in a mirror, the glory of the Lord, are constantly being transfigured and to his very own image in ever-increasing splendor and from one degree of glory to another, for this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. So I want you to see a few things here. The Word of God is a mirror. The Word of God is a mirror. And so some of us don't really use mirrors that often, but we use phones. Some of y'all check how you look in the morning with phones, and we're all familiar with taking, say, selfies. And so if I'm looking at what this camera's showing me, or if I was a mirror of my reflection, I would see me, right? I would see what I look like, right? But when I look into the Word of God, which is a mirror, I don't just see me. I see the glory of God. So in this mirror, I see the glory, and I see my reflection. I see the glory, and I see how I've fallen short from the glory. I see the glory, and I see where I'm called to be. Because I see the glory, I can also see the glorious person God has called me to be. Because you have to understand, this is from degree to degree, it's a process of you becoming glorified. Remember, we looked at the stories of when Jesus raised from the dead, how he had a glorified body. And 1 Corinthians 15 tells us that there's coming a day in the future where we'll all be changed in a twinkling of an eye. That we're going to be glorified with the same glory that raised Jesus from the dead. We're going to have bodies just like Jesus. Now, yes, that is a future day. But before that future day gets here, there is a process to our current glorification. That God has called you to be glorious. But if you looked in the mirror today, you say, well, pastor, I'm not there yet. Anyone can say that? I'm not there yet. But as I look in the mirror, as I look into the word of God, As I look to what it's showing me, I see where God has called me. I see where I am, but I see the path to get there. Because remember, Moses beheld the Lord 40 days, 40 nights, and he was changed. If you behold the word of God consistently and continually, looking at the glory of God, Look at who God has called you to be. You see that from the word of God. You will begin to change too. And sometimes your change won't always be as noticeable to you, but it'll be noticeable to others. 
They'll say, hey, something's different about you. Things will begin to change. Now, it's not an overnight thing. I really wish I could take my Bible, wave it over y'all, and y'all be good. But it doesn't work that way. It is a process. This is a journey world as you take step by step. So the word is a mirror. In the mirror, we see the glory of the Lord in our reflection. This same mirror shows both our reflection and the glory of God. It shows us what we're called to be and where we currently are. But as we continue to behold this mirror of the word of God, we are transfigured just like Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration and just like Moses. This transformation and transfiguration happens in degrees. It's not just leaps and bounds, it's degrees. Now, one of the things in Georgia, one of the things we know, if you don't like the weather today, give it a second, it'll change. And it changes in degrees. So I was out running on Thursday, it was 60-something degrees, it felt great. The next day it was a little bit cooler, I needed a hoodie. And then on Saturday it was raining and 40-something degrees, it's like, well, I'll stay in today. What happened? The weather began to change in degrees. You change in degrees as you behold the Word of God. It's a process, which means you can't give it up just because you tried it for two days. This is a lifestyle. This is a journey. This takes time. You know, you might get saved today. God does not expect you to be perfect tomorrow. He does not expect you to be perfect on day 14. But he does expect you to grow. He does expect you to go forward. This is a process as we continually behold the Word of God. This isn't that one-time quick look. This is a lifestyle of beholding. The mirror, the Word of God, is the standard. So when you look at the standard, what does it say about how you are living? What does it say that you need to change? Because the mirror doesn't just provide a reflection with information but also provides direction that needs to be followed. Let's go to James chapter 1. James chapter 1, verse 22. Remember, James is Jesus' little brother. Can you imagine growing up in the house with Jesus being your older brother? You'll see a lot of parents say this, you know, why can't you be like your older brother? And I can imagine James or his brother Jude or other Jesus' brothers or sisters saying, well, mom... You said he's the son of God. You said an angel appeared. You said this and this and that and the other stuff. How can I be like Jesus? He's perfect. So one of the things, you know, James saw growing up, the word of God lived. Because although Jesus didn't perform any miracles until he was 30 when he was anointed by the spirit of God, he didn't do any miracles, signs, or wonders when he was a kid or a teenager or in his 20s. He only began his ministry when he turned 30 and the Holy Ghost anointed him after he was baptized by John. But what Jesus did for those first 30 years was live the Word of God. So James had a front row seat to someone who lived the Word. He had a front row seat to the example of the Word because Jesus is the Word himself. But James chapter 1 verse 22, look what he says. But be ye doers of the Word, not hearers only. It's great to hear the Word. That's great that you hear the Word. But you also got to do it because what happens if you're just a hearer? You deceive your own self. Notice it doesn't say Satan deceives you. It doesn't say the world deceives you. It doesn't say the enemy deceives you. It says you do it. There's a lot of people that come and get the word, read the word, hear the word, but they don't do it. 
and they trick themselves thinking that they're living good enough already, their life's good enough already. And when something happens and the word of God doesn't come to pass like they think it should, or they don't have the miracle they think they should, they get mad at God and say, well, this faith stuff doesn't work. This word of God must not be for today. And they quit and they go do something else. And it's not the fact that the word didn't work, it's that you didn't do what you heard. Or you did what you heard on Sunday, but how many know there's more days than just Sunday in a week? But be ye doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. For if any be a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man beholding his natural face in a glass or a mirror. For he beholds himself and goes his way and immediately forgets what type of person he was. He forgot what he looked like. So James says if you look at the word of God and it tells you to do something and you don't do it, you're like a person who goes, looks in the mirror, sees what they look like, and walk away and forget what you look like. But whoso looks into the perfect law of liberty, the word of God. And continues, key word, continue. See, the power is in your consistency, not in one-time moments. It's great to have these mountaintop experiences with God. It's great to have a day where, man, God moved in such a strong way, and it's something you remember for the rest of your life. It's great, but it's not just those moments that define your Christianity, that define your walk with God. It's the consistency. It's being constant. See, people think that God is just looking for people to do big things. No, God is interested in people doing the little things too. Because you keep doing the little things, you'll be able to do the big things. The power is in your consistency. And you continue therein, and now being forgetful here, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deed. This man shall be blessed in his doing. So while you read the word and hear the word preached and taught, the Holy Spirit, the spirit of liberty, will point out things in your life you need to change. So I even know right now that as I'm talking to you about the word of God, the Holy Spirit is talking to your heart. He may talk to you about things that have nothing to do with my message. Why would he do that? Because you gave priority to getting the word of God today. And as you gave the word of God first place in your life, you've opened yourself up for the Holy Spirit to talk to you. And he'll tell you about things. He may tell you some things you need to change. He may tell you some things that are coming down the path. That's some things that are ahead of you. He'll talk to your heart. He'll say some things through the message and say other things in your heart. It won't be an outside voice, but be on the inside. You'll know some different things you need to work on. Now, when he does that, your first thing to do is agree with him. Just agree. Don't un- try to understand. So, well, God, okay, I, I, okay. How? No, that's not your first thing. See, so many people approach the word of God saying, if I understand it, then I'll believe it. Understanding doesn't always come before belief. You must make a decision that I believe the word, even when you don't understand it. Because none of us understand it all. Jesus does, and the rest of us are working on it. So you may read something you don't understand, but it says, if the word says it, I believe it. Now, how many of you have been saved for a while in here? You've been walking with Jesus for a long time now. How many know that there were some things when you first got saved, it seemed so big and so deep, you didn't even know how you are going to get it. But now you've been walking with Jesus for a little while, oh, that sounds simple. Oh, that's pre-K, that's elementary, Why? You didn't understand it then, but you understand it now because you decided to believe and walk with God. So you may come to see some things you don't understand, you don't get yet. That's okay. Choose to believe God first. Agree with what he says first. So he's telling things in your heart that you need to make this change, that you need to line this part of your life with the word of God. This is what you need to do. Instead of asking how or why, just say, yes, sir. I agree. Or amen, because that word amen means so be it. Let it be. It is done. So you agree with what the Holy Spirit is saying in your heart. And after you've agreed to, his, to what he said, then you go, okay, I agree. Now, how do you want me to do this, sir? 
What are my marching orders, sir? How would you like me to carry this out, sir? I agree. Now, how do you want me to do it? See, a lot of people don't have the marching orders for their life because they never agreed. And so once God tells me all the different steps, then I'll agree and then I'll do it. So once God gives me steps A through Z and plan 1 through 364, then I'll take my first step of faith. That's not how this thing works. You must agree and believe, and God will show you. God's not going to give you all the steps in front. So great, you know, analytical people, I'm great. You're glad you're analytical. We need analytical people. But if you think that you're going to plan your life to the T, and God's going to give you all the steps for the decades of your life in advance, it doesn't work that way. What will God tell you? Sometimes he'll give you a few steps. Sometimes it's one. Then you plan your life by, okay, I take this step. Then he tells you the next step. Then you take another step. And then another step. Then another step. Then what are you doing? You are walking by faith. You are walking in the Spirit. You are daily getting your direction from him. God doesn't normally speak through a booming voice from heaven, even though he has done in the Bible, and I'm open for you doing it for us, sir. That is not the normal way he guides us. He guides us through the still, small voice. You are a spirit. You are a tripart being. You are a spirit. You have a soul, which is your mind, your will, and emotions, and you live in this physical body. You can't see the real me. This is just my body. The real me is a spirit. And the way God deals with me is in my spirit. It says in Proverbs that the spirit of man is the candle of the Lord. Or we would say the flashlight of the Lord or our iPhone light. That if you're in a dark place, you turn on your light and that's how you see. It's giving you information what's going on in the room. So God is going to lead you through your spirit. So you have to learn to listen to your spirit. He's not going to lead you through your mind and your emotions. It's through your spirit. And the more time we spend in the Word of God and spend in prayer and in worship and giving priority to the Word of God, the easier it will be to hear from your spirit to know what God said. And so, you know, yep, God told me to do this. Not because you heard it with these ears. You heard it on the inside. That's how you'll get the plan. That's how you'll be able to go step by step by step. So agree with it. Follow up. Get the plan from God. Then after you get the plan from God, commit to it. See, we live in a generation where we have commitment issues. And don't just say it's just the young people, just the millennials and Gen Z. No, some of you Gen Xers and baby boomers and greatest generation, y'all have commitment issues too. See, we live in a generation where if we don't like what someone says, we just unfollow and go do something else. And that's what we do. And see, you know, I saw this meme the other day. It was pretty funny to me. A person says, I joined a gym six months ago, and I haven't seen any change yet. I'm going to go there tomorrow and see what's going on. You have to commit to the plan. You have to get the plan, and then you have to work the plan. And it's not just one day. It takes time. It's a process. You have to be consistent. You have to be constant. You must commit to the plan. It's a plan not just to be followed on Sundays, but every day if you want to experience life transformation. It's not just a plan to follow in January where you're hyped up for the year, but every day. Day in, day out. It's a lifestyle. Let's go to Ephesians chapter 4. Verse 11. And he gave some apostles and some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers. We call these the fivefold ministry gifts. These are gifts from Jesus. These are ministers who Jesus has given to the earth. What are their primary purpose? To preach and teach the word of God from the different points of their office. 
So why? Preach and teach the word of God. What's the result? For the perfecting or the maturing. That word's not becoming perfect, being matured or growing up of the saints. Why do you, does Jesus want the saints to grow up? So that they can do the work of the ministry. It is also for the building up or the encouraging, the edifying of the body of Christ. Till we all come into the unity of the faith. He's not talking about unity of doctrine, but the unity of faith. We all believe in Jesus. Because how many know we're never all going to agree on every single doctrine? That's okay. You know, I got to a place, you know, I don't feel like debating with people. You know, sometimes I enjoy a good debate, but other times, like, you know what? This debate is not going to produce anything. All this debate is going to do is make me angry, upset, annoyed, and frustrated because that person I'm talking to is hard-headed. <laughs> so why stress myself out and just chill? Okay, we're going to agree to disagree. You know, I believe in prospering. You believe in being broke. God bless you. I can, he's like, well, do you want to hear what the word says about it? No. Well, okay, why, why continue the conversation? Right? It's, he says, why do you engage in conversations that destroy your peace? You know talking to them about it is not going to change anything. So why do you even bring it up? Well, I just need to tell them how I feel. Remember, your feelings not a good source of guidance. Well, I just want to give them a piece of my mind. That's why you don't have that many pieces left. You don't have to say everything you feel. You don't have to say everything you think. Sometimes it's a blessing just going, zoop. Hmm. You know, my staff is learning well enough. Something happens. I have a, a code word. Interesting. Because that's all I'm going to say about that matter right there. Interesting. You don't always have to say something. Well, I have to respond. No, you don't. Well, Jesus would respond. Are you sure about that? Because they brought him a woman who was caught in the act of adultery, so they had trapped her and brought her. And then they tried to use scripture against him and says, well, the law says to stone her right here. And Jesus looked at them all and ignored them and started drawing in the dirt. He could have been writing or drawing a pretty picture. Jesus is straight up ignoring these people. They said, you have to answer. You have to answer. You have to answer. Do, 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 do. La, di, da, di, da. Straight up ignoring these dudes. And then he says something. What does he say? Because remember, Jesus said, I only say what I hear my father say. I only do what I see him do. He just looked at him and says, well, whoever's without sin, cast the first stone. Do, 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 do. And it says, from the oldest to the youngest, they dropped their stones and walked away. And then Jesus looked up again, meaning he had completely ignored these dudes. And he looks around and says, like, oh, where do they go? And he says, where are your accusers? Does anyone accuse you? And the woman says, no. He said, neither do I. Go and sin no more. So God didn't excuse her sin. Jesus just forgave her of the sin. But notice what Jesus did. He didn't respond until he had someone from God. And so I'll sit down with people that they're not saved, they're not living for God, or living a different lifestyle. You say, well, pastor, did you tell them about their sin? No. Well, why not? The Holy Spirit didn't tell me to. Why bring up something sometimes they already know? They know, I know, the Holy Ghost knows. So once the Holy Ghost tells me to say it, I ain't going to say it. So sometimes we have to watch how we do what we're supposed to do. So it's not that we're just doing what we're supposed to do, but we're doing the way we're supposed to do it. And that comes back to the guidance of the Spirit of God as he leads us in our spirit. And so we're all to grow up so we can do the work of the ministry. Now, the work of the ministry, people think, well, ministry is just behind the pulpit. This is part of ministry. This is my part of ministry. But the Bible says we're all called as believers to the ministry of reconciliation, which is God bringing other people to himself through us. So the ministry is not just behind the pulpit. It's what God has called you to do. 
God has a call on your life. There's no forgotten people, mistake people. Oh, you were extra. I forgot you were coming, so I didn't give you a plan. Just, you know, exist and I got you. No. God has a call and a plan for each of us. And it says, as we grow into the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro, carry about every wind of doctrine. Now, what's every wind of doctrine? Every new teaching. Ooh, it's new. Yeah, it's cool marketing. I must follow it. No. Well, look at it. Cool. It seems new. Does it line up with the word of God? Then cool. Be blessed. If not, don't do it. Because notice what it says next. By the slight of men and cunning craftiness, whereby they lie in wait to deceive. Because it looks new. It looks cool, but it'll trap you. But speaking the truth in love. So see, I told them the truth. Did, I, did you say in love? Well, no, then you didn't do what you're supposed to do. May grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplies, according to the effectual working in the measure of every part, makes increase of the body unto the edifying, the building itself up in love. Now, one of the things this last part tells me, it says every joint supplies. We are members of the body of Christ. We all have a supply. This lets me know I have a supply that you don't have. You have a supply that I don't have. Your neighbor has a supply that you don't have. But notice when we all come together and give our supply or make our contribution, it says the body grows and expands in love, which means the body is limited to if we give our supply. You have, one of the things as you follow this faith life out and you stay in the word of God and follow the spirit, you know, we're talking about transforming your life. And that's good. You should focus on transforming your life. But as you get in the word of God, you understand you're only a part of God's plan. You are not the whole plan. You are part of the plan. You are part of God's plan for this age. You are part of God's overarching plan for the ages. You are a part of the body of Christ. You ain't the whole body. You are a part of it. And as you do your part, the body can grow and do what it's supposed to do. You do have a supply. You do have a contribution that others do not have. But they have something that you don't have. But together, as our supplies come together, we can do more than what we can do individually. See, Ecclesiastes 4 in verse 9 says this way, Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their labor. For if they fall, the one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him that is alone when he falls, for he that has not another to help him up. Again, if two lie together, they have heat, but how can one be warm alone? And if one prevail against them, two shall withstand them. And a threefold cord is not quickly broken. So one person is strong, but two are much stronger. But then it says three people together, not easily broken. Why? The power increases the number of people working together. You see, it says it, you know, Jesus says it this way in Matthew 18. And there's a prayer of agreement which you pray at the end of experience for all those you brought your goals for us to pray over. It says, verily I say unto you, Whatsoever you shall bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatsoever you shall loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again, I say unto you that if two of you agree on earth as touching anything that they shall ask, it shall be done for them of my Father who is in heaven. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, there I am in the midst of them. Amplified Classic Edition says this way, verse 19. Again, I tell you, if two of you on earth agree, harmonize together, Make a symphony together about whatever, anything and everything they may ask. It will come to pass and be done for them by my Father which is in heaven. So Jesus said, if I get y'all together and just agree, y'all can have whatever you ask. And Jesus said, I'll be right there with you, which means you're praying according to the word of God. 
And so we were using this example earlier. I was talking to, you know, Minister Dathan. You know, on Tuesday night they have, you know, choir rehearsal. And what he spends a lot of the time doing is giving people their parts. So he gives the soprano their parts, the altos their parts, the tenors their parts. And how many know they all have different parts? But as they all sing their, sing their different parts, what do they do? They harmonize. But everybody has a different part. What if everybody tried to sing the same part? It wouldn't be what it's supposed to be. But it, when they come together, it's that beautiful sound. And Jesus says when you come together and harmonize and you ask for things, you come together, you'll get whatever you ask for. There's power when we come together and agree. See, look, it says it this way in Leviticus 26.8, and five of you shall chase 100. That's each person can take on 20. That's pretty good. Five of them came together and each of them can do 20. But the next part of the verse says, and 100 of you shall put 10,000 to flight. Now, I'm not a math major, but I just see the percentages increase. Why? More people came together. So if more of us come together and agree, we can do more. See, that works on the good and the negative. Because how many remember the story of the Tower of Babel in Genesis 11? That God told them to fill the whole earth, and they said, nah, we're going to stay right here. And they began to build a tower because they want to challenge what God said. They said, we're going to build a tower that's going to reach into heaven. They are challenging God. And they're building this tower. In verse 11, verse 6 says, And the Lord said, Behold, the people was one, and they all have one language, and this they began to do. Now nothing will be restrained from them, which they have imagined to do. Why? They had one aim, one purpose, one goal. They talked the same thing. They had one mission. They all said the same thing. And Jesus said, God said, when they came together, they're going to be able to do whatever they want because they came together and they agreed. But how many know they're rebelling against God and sin makes you stupid? They didn't realize it yet, but as you keep building, you'll get to a place where you're kind of running out of oxygen. But if they stayed together, they would have figured out a way to solve that problem. What was the power in? Agreement. The power was in that they came together. But on the positive side, Psalm 133 verse 1 says, Behold, how good. And pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in what? It is like the precious ointment upon the head that runs down upon the beard. Even Aaron's beard that went down to the skirts of his garment, as the dew of Hermon, as the dew that descends upon the mountains of Zion. For there the Lord commands a blessing, even life forevermore. So it says, God is pleased when we dwell together in unity. And it talks about how the anointing that was poured out on Aaron started from his head and went down to the rest of the body. So God anoints bodies, local bodies, and the entire body, and it flows to every piece. But what if you're not where you're supposed to be? You know, because 1 Corinthians 12, look at it in a moment, says we are members of the body of Christ. And it says God has set each of us in the body of Christ as it pleased him. That word pleased means delighted. So the path God has for you, the call God has for you, God gave it to you because it delights him. And he knows in that place you will find the most fulfillment and the most joy. It's the part, the place God has for you. So God has called you to be right here. This is the spot where the anointing is flowing. This is the spot where he's commanded the blessing. But your happy offended self takes you over here. (laughs) And you're wondering, why am I not blessed? The blessing's in that spot. Why am I not seeing the effects of the anointing? The anointing's in that spot. See, a lot of people, when you understand the power of agreement... Don't you know Satan will do whatever he can to get you out of unity? 
to get you offended, to get you from where you're supposed to be. Well, they don't agree with me politically and agree to disagree. You can have different opinions and y'all both can be wrong. Or you both can be right. You know, one of the things I was blessed with, I have a spiritual father and bishop, he was just preaching here in December. But I've also been blessed to have many mentors and teachers along the way. I'm actually going to a conference with them this coming week and sit under their ministry. But let's just say one of these mentors said something I didn't agree with. Do I just storm out? Well, no. It's like, you know, I have been in ministry 15 years, but some of them 40 and 50. Maybe they know something I don't know. Just maybe I don't know everything. What if they say something wrong? Well, eat the hay, spit the sticks. What if they miss it? Well, aren't you glad people don't abandon you when you miss it? So we've forgotten about honor in this generation. And we've assumed that if we disagree, we have to leave. I don't like what they said, so I'm going to unfollow them. And you remove yourself from the place you're supposed to be. So God has called you to be here, but you got offended because the usher didn't wave at you long enough. They waved for two seconds. That should have been five. They didn't shake my hand well enough. Well, I didn't get a park in my favorite parking spot. Or whatever reason you have to get offended at something that happens at church. And God's called you to be right here. But your offended self takes you, you know what? Mm, this church is not for me. I'm going to another church, all offended. And you mess up that church, I mean you go to that church. <laughs> all offended, all upset, and eventually they will offend you too. And instead of being a charismatic Christian, he became a cruisomatic Christian, and you cruise yourself to another church, and you are offended over here. And then you go to another one, and you're offended over there. Eventually, you go, you know what? Church isn't for me. You know, church people are crazy. I'm going to stay at home and be okay all by myself. Not in the spot where God has called you to be. Not to be in the spot where the anointing is flowing. Not in the spot where the blessing is. So you are out of the will of God and offended. And then you harden your heart. So well, I don't know why things aren't working for me. Maybe this Bible stuff doesn't work. You start believing all this other crazy stuff because you're not in your spot. But that's just your personal life. But it says that every joint supplies. That everyone's given their supply. The body expands. The body grows. So if you're not in your spot, the body's not growing the way it should. So yes, we talked about all the things that could happen to you, but if you're not in your spot, Who's not being saved? If you're not in your spot, who's not coming back to God? If you're not in your spot, who's not being healed, delivered, and set free? Whose life is not being transformed because you got offended and left your spot? You say, well, I'm not the pastor. It doesn't matter. God has all called us to do different things, and we all have a spot. We all have a supply. We all have a place, and when we're in our place, the body can grow. Because we're giving our supply. We're making our contribution. You have a supply of prayer. You have a supply of service. You have a supply you bring every time you attend the faith experience. You have a supply of giving. Say, oh, my time doesn't matter. Yes, it does. Well, they look rich. I saw their car. They can give today. You might have just saw a loan. We all have a supply. We all have a place. 
We all have a grace. And when we're all in our spot, we can do what God has called us to do. It's a spot where the blessing is. It's a spot where the anointing is. And we have to be in our spot. No, we won't all agree on everything or anything. But we agree on the essentials. Jesus is Lord. He is the Son of God. He died, but on the third day, God raised him from the dead, and he's coming back again. We may disagree on every single thing else, but we agree it's Jesus. And we agree. You know, I have friends who are close to me. We may not agree on every political point, but they're still my brother. What do we agree on? We love Jesus and we love each other. That's enough. We have to stop letting the world divide us over everything. Because you have to understand, Satan will do whatever he can to get you offended and divide you. Because he understands the power of unity. He heard Jesus say, a kingdom divided against itself can not stand. So he will try to divide local churches. He will try to divide marriages. He will try to divide families. Why? He doesn't want them to be able to stand strong together. Because if they're together, they can do more for God. So you must make a decision that you will not be offended. I promise you there are some offensive stuff coming in this 2020 election, both sides. Elephants, donkeys, independents, everybody. There's offensive stuff coming. Don't be shocked. You know it's coming. I know it's coming. God knows it's coming. So make a decision right now. I refuse to be offended. I don't care what they say, what they tweet, what they post, what happens in the debate. I refuse to be offended. It's one of the things I have you say. I forgive everybody of everything. That includes politicians. Some of y'all mad at politicians, they don't know you. And they don't care that you're mad at them. They've moved on with their lives, but you're offended and, and upset and offended in your home and can't do what God's called you to do. You got to forgive people and let it go, let it go. Some of you just need to have a frozen moment. Let that go. Stop holding on to things. So that you can receive what God has for you. Because you hold on to unforgiveness and bitterness and strife and offense. It will make you leave your spot. How many people have left the earth early because they were offended? See, John the Baptist, the great prophet of God, Jesus said there's no prophet greater than him than under the Old Testament. Greatest anointing. Jesus described his ministry and his life. And plus he's Jesus' cousin. They're just a few months apart. They're close. They're miracle babies. But John got arrested because he was preaching righteousness and the king's wife did not like it. Neither did the king, and so he's arrested. And he's in jail. You think you know Jesus, your cousin, your homeboy, you grew up with him. He's the son of God. He's the Messiah. I'm sure he's going to get me out of jail. Hours go by. Okay, well, maybe he's on his way. A couple days. Maybe he got tied up a couple weeks. <laughs> couple months. Why am I still in jail? Why am I still in a situation when I know Jesus wants me out of it? And so he sends some of his disciples to Jesus with a question. And, he's, and some of us read that in the gospel. We think, oh, it's a spiritual question. No, it's a question of offense. He says, are you the one that should come or should we look for another? Some people say, oh, John the Baptist is on a spiritual journey. No, John knew. Well, how do you know that? John baptized Jesus. God told John, the one you see, the Spirit come upon and remain, that's the one. John was there when the heavens opened and God said, this is my beloved son and whom I'm well pleased. John was right there. He wasn't far away. He was right there. There's Jesus in him. So now he's offended because he's still in a position he thinks he should have been out of already. And he says, are you the one that should come or should I look for someone else? Have I wasted my time on you, Jesus? And Jesus said, go and tell John Again, meaning they've had this conversation before. 
the blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the dead are raised, the poor have the gospel preached to them. And then he says in a loud voice as their disciples are leaving, blessed is he who's not offended at me. John was offended. And what happened later? He lost his head. How many situations are you in because you got offended and you left the place God has called you to be? You allowed offense to pull you away from where you're supposed to be. And you miss out on what God has for you. You have to make a decision. You forgive everybody of everything. That the offense is not worth your miracle. Because you stay offended long enough, you get bitter. And then you become contagious. Hebrews says you become a root of bitterness, causing many to be defiled. And he starts telling people, it's like, oh, no, I'm not bitter. Baby, this is wisdom. You've believed your lie long enough, so now your wisdom is just straight bitterness. And you're spreading it to people because you got offended and left your spot. And you've forgotten that God has a spot for you. God has a place for you. God has a grace for you. God has an anointing for you. For 1 Corinthians 12, 14 says, For the body is not one member, but many. If the foot shall say, Because I'm not the hand, I am not the body, is it therefore not the body? And if the ear shall say, Because I'm not the eye, I am not the body, is it therefore not the body? If the whole body were an eye, where were the hearing? If the whole were hearing, where were the smelling? But now God has set the members, every one of them, in the body as it's pleased him or as it delighted him. This is the place where you'll find the most joy and the most fulfillment. And if they were all one member, where were the body? But now there are many members, yet one body. The eye cannot say unto the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. Skip down to verse 27. Now you are the body of Christ and members in particular. And God has set some in the church. First apostles, secondarily prophets, thirdly teachers. After that, miracles and gifts of healings, helps, governments. Government's talking about the pastoral office, diversity of tongues. So it's talking about different ministry gifts and different things God has put in the earth. Set means he appointed them. He appointed these people to these places. And so how many of you agree that apostles and prophets are supernatural? That those who flow in miracles and gifts of healing, that's supernatural. Then that means helps is supernatural. So what is helps? If it helps, it helps. So we call our ministry of helps here Team Faith because together everyone accomplishes more. That I know, even though I try to do a lot myself and they have to convince me to stop trying to do so much, I know I can't do everything by myself. I need help. Because we have a big vision here to ignite an awakening that impacts Georgia and influences the world through the power of the love of Jesus. But it can't just be me. People say, oh, well, but the pastor's anointed enough to come to pass. No, there's actually a team of people that have to come together. The Avengers have to assemble if they're gonna do what God's called them to do. You see, you know, tomorrow we celebrate you know, Martin Luther King Day and we celebrate the thing he did and we're so grateful for everything that he had a dream and that he did what God had called him to do and he changed our nation forever. But how many know it was not just Dr. King? That he had a crew? That although we celebrate him and in celebrate him, we celebrate the movement, it wasn't just him. It wasn't just him marching. There were tons of others. He had a crew. And the thing is, you know, he had his crew sign up a commitment card. That if you were going to march with him, be a part of his organization, he gave you a commitment card. And made you agree to all the points and sign it and give your information. I, if you want to look in the notes, I copied it and put it there, but I'm going to read it to you. Commitment card. Martin Luther King Jr., 1963. 
I hereby pledge myself, my person and body, to the nonviolent movement. Therefore, I will keep the following Ten Commandments. He gave them Ten Commandments. Number one, meditate daily on the teachings and life of Jesus. Number two, remember always that the nonviolent movement seeks justice and reconciliation, not victory. Number three, walk and talk in the manner of love, for God is love. Number four, pray daily to be used by God in order that all men might be free. Number five, sacrifice personal wishes in order that all men might be free. Number six, observe with both friend and foe the ordinary rules of courtesy. Number seven, seek to perform regular service for others and for the world. Number eight, refrain from violence of fist, tongue, or heart. Number nine, strive to be in good spiritual and bodily health. Number ten, follow the directions of the movement and of the captain on a demonstration. I sign this pledge having seriously consider what I do and with the determination and will to persevere. Name, address, phone, nearest relative, addressed. Besides demonstrations, I could also help the movement by circle the proper items, run errands, drive my car, fix food for volunteers, clerical work, make phone calls, answer phones, memograph, type, print, sign, distribute leaflets. It sounded like Dr. King had a ministry of helps to accomplish the dream that God has given him. It wasn't just him, it was his whole team working towards the goal. And because they did, generations have been blessed. Not just because of Dr. King, but also because of his team. They were in their spot. They were in their place where God had an anointing and a grace for them, and they brought change to this nation and the generations afterward because they were in their spot. God has a spot for you. See, there's many of you in here. This is your home church. Not just home for the first time. Guess you've been here for a little while. This is your church. You know it's your church. But you haven't even let us know that this is your church because you haven't gone to the You Matter class. You come and say, this is my church. And you say, people go, what church do you go to? I go to Faith Christian Center, but you never really connected. Or you did connect, but you never started serving. That this is your spot, but it says, well... Yeah, I'll serve eventually, maybe, kind of. Or you said, I signed up to serve, but you never did. This is your spot. We can't do what God's called us to do without you. You have a supply. You have a contribution that we can't do what God's called us to do if you don't give your part. And so there are some of you right here that you know what God has called you to do. Like, first then, before we do the altar call, altar call, you know that you're supposed to be serving. This is your home church. But for whatever reason, you haven't been serving. But you know that as a pastor, I need to start serving. Today is the day I'm making the decision to serve. If that's you, stand up. You know that's you. So this is your home church. I'm going to start serving today. Stand up. You can clap for them as I come. There's some more. You know that's you. This is your home church. You know you need to serve. Stand. All right. So what I'm going to have you three to do, I'm going to send you to Sister Melissa right there. She's going to take your information down, and she's going to give it to Minister Newman, who will call you this week, and will get you guys connected so you can be serving the place God has for you. Amen. Cheer for them as a follow, Sister Melissa. We all have a spot. We all have a place. And as we all come together in what God has called us to do, we'll be able to do it. I can't do it by myself. It's not just by the preaching or the singing. It's all of us coming together, giving our supply of prayer, of service, of connecting, of giving. All of us coming together, we can do what God has called us to do. 
we can ignite an awakening that impacts Georgia and influence the world through the power of the love of Jesus. Together. Say together. Thanks for watching today. We hope today's message was a blessing to you that it empowered you to make Jesus famous in every area of your life. Hey, if you want to be a part of what God's doing here at Faith, you know, our vision statement is to ignite an awakening that impacts Georgia and influences the world through the power of the love of Jesus. And we'd love for you to be a part. You can find out our different experience times and our different locations by going to FCCGA.com. If you want to give, you can text FCCGA to 73256. You can also go to FCCGA.com to give online and be a part of what God's doing here. We'd love to see you anytime you're in our area. We believe God has something good just for you. And anytime you come to our faith experience, we believe you will experience God and his plan for your life. So thank you for tuning in today. We'll see you next time.